Welcome to the Supply Chain Tech Podcast with Romy. In this episode, we dive deep into a topic that's been widely discussed because of the COVID-19 vaccines. It's nothing but pharma cold chain management. We have with us Brett Marshall from Zulik Pharma to explore this topic. Brett heads Zulik's quality assurance practice, but moreover, he spent a lot of years managing supply chain and distribution in pharma to provide us with a holistic picture. Brett, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure having you here. I'd like to begin with uh, my first question to you. You have spent a lot of time in the pharma quality and distribution space. So what got you into this and what do you really like about your work every day? Thanks, Prem. So I, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think um, I, I, when I left, uh, left high school, actually, I was a frustrated vet like uh, a few other friends that I had at the time. Uh, but I, I finished up studying uh, transport and logistics management at RMIT. And, and it, I, I sort of found that, uh, that it was an industry that I, I really enjoyed working in. Uh, I, I worked with Lynn Fox to begin with in Australia. So I got my, cut my teeth in the business uh, in transport logistics. And, and I, I think, you know, as, as a career, it's been um, fascinating to be able to uh, move through different disciplines within uh, the area of supply chain and also to be able to work uh, across uh, different parts of Australia. And then uh, when moving into Asia, I've, I've lived in, uh, in Indonesia, Thailand, mm-hmm. um, Bangladesh, Philippines and, and Singapore. And, and worked in different roles in those countries as well. So I found it to be an extremely challenging um, uh, area to work. And, and pharma, um, especially with, uh, with the quality space that I've been working for the past few years, um, is a particularly interesting uh, area to work, very rapidly changing. And, uh, and to be able to you know, put in place a quality management system and and have uh, oversight of a quality management system for, for products that um, you know are going to be used in, in the treatment of patients is, is a really important uh, really important role. So um, I, I enjoy what I do, and I enjoy um, you know the oversight of of the business and the team that works for, with me, and, and enabling that team to be able to to do what they do in the quality space as well. Thank you, Brett. Brett, uh, my next question to you really would be around uh, the COVID-19 scenario. Um, as we all know, the COVID-19 vaccine has actually brought out uh, the pharma cold chain into the mainstream, right? So all of the challenges that come around shipping in a cold chain environment, uh, especially when it's shipped to parts of the world where uh, people are not used to first world cold chain management techniques uh, is being talked about. Uh, Brett, you have spent a lot of time running and managing large cold chains. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about some of the scenarios that contribute to this risk that's being widely discussed? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, working in Asia as we do, and, and the business that we have covers uh, uh, 13 countries across Asia, and many of them, um, you know, like the Philippines and Indonesia, are obviously geographically quite diverse. Uh, and I guess, you know, one of the, the major challenges, um, you know, for pharma distribution in general is probably the quality of the infrastructure that's available in each country. And that can be 
around the the ports of entry with uh, with airports and with seaports uh, and and then the in-country uh, infrastructure around road systems and um, you know sometimes the the potential for disruption through um, the impacts of climate with floods and typhoons and and those types of things so you know we have to design um, you know our our infrastructure and our systems to be pretty robust to to deal with those types of things I, I think um, certainly um, you know COVID and and the you know the supply chain impacts are certainly brought uh, brought supply chain to uh, the front page and into the broadsheet um, but I think from a, a farmer perspective you know we've been operating uh, in in Asia for nearly a hundred years and yep. and certainly um, in that time we've built uh, a pretty robust system and compliance to to international standards so we do handle a, a significant proportion of, of vaccines today uh, and I'd say that you know we we've seen evolutions in terms of um, the storage infrastructure available and the packaging systems that are available um, the the the, the um, devices, the temperature monitoring devices that we use to give us visibility of uh, of temperature, um, and you know how we integrate these um, these components into uh, an ecosystem which provides the right storage, uh, the right storage uh, temperatures, and and maintains those through to uh, to delivery to the patient. Um, I, I think that uh, certainly the, the geographical challenges are probably the ones that uh, that have um, been the biggest to overcome in the past. But uh, you know, certainly the the development of, as I say, packaging systems, passive packaging systems uh, that we've seen in the last uh, five five six years has really improved capabilities in in that respect. And so. You know the the ability to to maintain temperatures uh, within specification in the past with with packaging systems would be 36 to 48 hours, but today can be 96 to 120 hours. So, you know the the, the technology has had a big impact, and I think that's helped to secure um, to secure the the uh, provenance of the product to uh, to hospitals and pharmacies and drugstores and that sort of thing, and and then to the patient. Brett, if I was to visualize the entire supply chain uh, for this distribution of vaccines, what are all the places where things could go wrong uh, or maybe Murphy could happen? Uh, you've spent a lot of time here, so uh, I think you must have seen a lot of practical scenarios and you would probably be well prepared to address them uh, before even they occur. But for somebody who is uh, learning the pharma supply chain uh, or who is from another industry, uh, what would those scenarios be or where, what are those risk points in the supply chain? Yeah, I touched on um, on the risk areas of ports of entry, so uh, mm -hmm. airports and seaports, um, particularly for those countries that are um, geographically diverse as I mentioned so uh, mm -hmm. Philippines Indonesia um, Malaysia uh, I guess um, where there are situations where um, 
the, the product can be exposed to extreme temperatures during loading or unloading. Uh, and, you know, sometimes in the case of refrigerated uh, containers in shipping ports uh, and the, the disconnection of, from power, um, sometimes you, you can get situations where that, that takes longer than, than it should. Uh, and so we can see, see deviations occur uh, because of the, the, uh, the power disconnection. Um, but I, I'd say that when we look at international ports, airports and seaports, um, the international standards have, have improved to a point where the risk has been very much reduced in, in many of the airports that we, that we operate or, or that operate in the countries where we are today. Uh, and many of them, many of the uh, airport management managers and, and the airlines have also uh, improved their standards, become aligned with quality standards like IATA's CEIV quality certification. Uh, so that's that's helped to address the inbound risk. Uh, I guess where we're doing branch transfers, we still have some some uh, some areas of risk, and that's one of the reasons why we've we've been helped with the improvement in packaging systems to to address those key risk areas. Um, I think also in in handling you know the the storage uh, infrastructure that we have, the packaging systems we have. Uh, it's important that we give the right level of education and training to to uh, to, the, to our teams that are involved in um, working with those in those areas and and um, with those components, preparing those components for for packing and shipping. Um, that everything f um, follows, you know, the required procedures from pre uh, pre uh, uh, preparation of. Uh, of ice gels or, or the um, the PCMs that we're we're using, um, right through to the way that the, the pack out is prepared uh, prior to putting uh, product into into the temperature control packaging system, and then how that's packed um, in terms of the delivery vehicles and then transported. So the the training processes and and the guidelines and the SOPs that we put around that. Um, and the way that we manage uh, the, the teams that are involved in that process is pretty important. And those are probably some of the, the key risk areas that, uh, that we see. Brett, you, you touched upon uh, temperature monitoring uh, devices. So the pharma, the pharma industry is very, very familiar with data loggers and it's been treated as the gold standard in pharma cold chains for decades now. So do you think uh, it continues to solve the problem that you're talking about, or is it time for the pharma industry to look beyond just passive data loggers? Yeah, I, I think um, certainly the, the passive devices that um, we've used in the past have, have given, you know, where, where situations are, um, are good where where we have validated packaging systems and validated um, transit lanes that we use. Um, you know the the data loggers have the capability to con confirm that um, that we have the correct systems in place. Um, but it's it's always a retrospective review um, from a passive device, and, and I guess uh, as an industry we're we're looking to to identify ways to become 
more proactive and more uh, more capable of preventive management. Um, and so I think this is what's pushing uh, an increased focus on how do we move to um, real-time capabilities for alerts, not, not so much real-time data capture, because that's a part of a, a normal part of a passive device, but real-time alerts, um, or an increasing, uh, an increasing uh, availability of um, integrations with IoT um, uh, technologies to be able to speed up the alert, uh, alert receiving process. Um, which allow may allow some form of um, responding action uh, as part of a shipment. So I, I think I think certainly that um, that penetration of IoT, the penetration of or the, the growing capabilities of uh, of um, real-time alerts, um, that's that's kind of the the base improvement in in the device. I think the communications technology to support uh, the use of, of this equipment is also uh, important. So we're starting to see improvements in in uh, uh, telecoms infrastructure around the region that that are helping these systems perform better. Um, and I, I think you know real time alerts will certainly, or the, or the ability to uh, to generate real real time alerts will um, will help enormously to to reduce quality risk. Um, I think also the ability to capture the data and use the data uh, is is probably an area of greater focus than it was in the past. And I think, you know, traditionally device um, providers had their data capture um, um, uh, platforms, which were pretty much proprietary uh, to the to the devices. But we're starting to see. Um, the ability to have more agnostic um, data capture platforms that then can be integrated back into, you know, in our as in our situation, the the um, business support platform that we have in place, you know, being able to capture that data and download that data directly. Brett, you obviously must be having um, some experience, you know, working with some of these IoT and um, you know data platforms. Um, so what do you think um, is working today um, in terms of technological capability and where do you see that some of these technologies need to evolve? Uh, I, I think we're still at the, the fairly early stages of integration with IoT and, and um, you know, the, the ability, as I, as I was talking about earlier, the, the ability to, to generate those real-time alerts, I think you know, in the in the past, devices have been um, a balance of um, how do we have enough battery, you know, mm -hmm. battery power to be able to sustain the device versus uh, how do we capture data versus how do we transmit data, and there's been a little bit of a a, a battle between those three uh, um, those three requirements inside, you know, the 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 confines of the device itself. Um, but I think technologies allowing battery sizes to and, and power to to decrease in size and transmitting uh, data transmitting capability to to improve um, and the ability to access the cloud directly is reducing uh, the requirement for uh, data capture within the device as well. So um, I, I think you know the, these are some of the the tech evolutions that 
we're starting to see. It's it's always a little bit challenging to get through uh, the qualification and validation process of, of these devices, which in pharma is, is a really important step prior to um, really operationalizing the use of, uh, of devices and data capture uh, platforms. Um, it's it's a, a requirement that, that has kind of carried over uh, from um, good manufacturing practice in the manufacturing side into good distribution practice uh, in, in distribution. So, so we're, we're at, at the early stages of, I think, the next, the next step um, for, for devices and the use of devices. And then I think, um, as I mentioned, the, the, the future will be how do we start to, to more effectively use that data and how can we more effectively integrate uh, that data into other data systems or da data uh, uh, pools that we have available. Greg, this brings me to actually two interesting questions uh, about what you said. So one is um, you're talking about these um, sensors and uh, the platforms. What are some of the pharma regulations that these technologies need to comply with before they come to a pharma user like you or any 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 pharma company for that matter. My second question is around the data capabilities that you talked about. So one is the, one is the sensor data, uh, but what other data sources are really important uh, for you to visualize what's happening to your shipment uh, or your distribution lane in real time? Yeah, I think in, in terms of um, the quality uh, quality requirements around the devices. I, I talked a little bit about um, qualification and, and validation of the devices, um, and also uh, the the calibration of the devices. So they they need to be able to f perform within very specific uh, uh, requirements. Um, the um, you know the temperature ranges that they're capable of mo of measuring. Uh, must be within within very strict specifications. Um, the uh, the minimum period of time between uh, data being logged is is fairly tightly specified. Um, and Especially for your for your last mile for last yes. mile deliveries, right? Where you cannot have a blank spot. No, that that that's right, and particularly important even. Um, as we review data from a data integrity uh, perspective, that um, that there are no gaps in the data, that that um, that we have a, a consistent record of of temperature right right through. Um, also, as as you know, we download data from devices, and again related to data integrity, um, we need to make sure that there's no opportunity for any of the the users um, of of the system to be able to manipulate any data and that it remains um, the integrity of the data is maintained right through the process as well are there any certifications that uh, come into play here which give that confidence to the pharma industry sorry any uh, are there are there any kind of certifications that come into play brett which give that confidence on these IoT sensors to the pharma industry. Yeah, so in in most cases we we require a calibration certificate 
um, to be supplied with with the devices and this can be uh, quite challenging to find um, whether the, the manufacturer themselves is going to provide the calibration or whether the calibration needs to be performed uh, within the the country where we're we're operating but in many cases it's the manufacturer themselves that are providing the calibration certificate and and uh, uh, recertification is usually on a minimum of, of an annual basis uh, so this pro this um, process needs to be considered uh, from a cost perspective as well because it's uh, it's not always cheap yeah uh, in many cases it can be cheap actually cheaper to buy a new device than it is to to have the device recalibrated yes and brett uh, talking about the second piece which is about the data what are some of the data sources that you'd like to see that you spoke about which is beyond just temperature uh which is coming from the iot census yeah I, I, th I think that, um, you know, as we look at, at uh, initiatives that are being launched under Industry 4.0 and Supply Chain 4.0 and Quality 4.0, um, we start to see uh, a broader integration to data sets that come from, from you know, the company's business platform mm -hmm. um, and also external data sets that might be from uh, like unstructured data from a from an EQMS, a, an electronic quality management system, or um, potentially from uh, from other um, information sources such as uh, such as natural disaster uh, monitoring sites or temperature and and humidity monitoring sites. Um, anything that can kind of impact. Um, the potential condition of, of the delivery process uh, can also be quite helpful. And I think being able to um, integrate that data and then be able to use some of the tool sets from artificial intelligence and machine learning and robotic process automation to start to improve um, predictive capabilities and 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 I guess when you look at the um, anal analytics maturity curve, um, how you can um, push the organisation up the maturity curve through predictive to prescriptive and into cognitive uh, analytical capability that gives you a much more uh, effective risk prevention uh, capability. So I think that'll be the future. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of integrating platforms that are or integrating software that's that's also being made available from a number of different suppliers. But I, th I think it'll take some time to to build out that capability. Absolutely, Brett. And I think what you're really driving to here, which is very interesting, is that um, the time to react is, seems to be very critical for you, because what you really want is you want the system to tell you what I should do without having to figure out what this particular temperature excursion, for example, means. You want to know what's that a temperature excursion is happening, where it's happening, what is probably causing it, and who I should contact in my chain of custody to actually rectify it. Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 really um, it, it's moving from the um, corrective approach of the past to a more preventive capability in the future, yes.
Let me shift gears a bit. Uh, and here's something that I observed um, about your uh, about your experience. You've actually worked with uh, the quality side of things and you've worked with the distribution side of things. A uh, lot of times uh, I learned that these two departments have a lot of tussles because one is trying to improve the quality of the product um, and spend more on it while uh, the other departments trying to typically optimize cost, find uh, more cost effective methods to get the product across from one area to another. Um, so how uh, have you been handling some of these conflicting priorities? Uh, I think uh, since you've been part of both these teams, uh, we could get some insights from you here. I think that's a good question. I think, you know, the, the, the role of quality is particularly important and and it's, it's, I, I think I, I talked right at the start about um, a, a quality management system and and quality's role in in the governance of a quality management system is to be able to interpret um, interpret change that's 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 being pushed um, through the system from regulatory change or supply chain change or technology change uh, and be able to uh, build that QMS in a way that um, the operations team are, are going to be able to, to, to adapt to the required changes most easily. I think um, the traditional view of quality is, has been as a policeman um, and that's because you know, we've, we've seen a, a highly operational nature of quality um, and and what we're trying to to do is to kind of build a, a, a more effective quality culture through the organization to um, bring quality back into its role as as governance and and looking at quality assurance rather than um, being directly involved in the operational side and give um, the, the process owners more, responsibility for um, for the way that they're they're managing their their process um, I think that that you know when we take uh, quality out of its functional silo and and we start to embed it um, at the start of end-to-end uh, -end scenarios that we're looking at from a from an operations perspective we, we get a better result um, you know in the manufacturing sector they talk about quality by design uh, and I think that's that's what we're looking at to kind of build to to um, to break down the, the potential conflict scenarios by building pro quality into the process right at the very beginning. So there's an ongoing process of review from a quality perspective right through the delivery of changes that we might make to infrastructure or systems or technology or process. Um, and you know, when we look at it from that uh, holistic perspective and we implement from, from a, a, a holistic perspective, it takes the conflict out, out of the scenario. Um, and I think that, you know, through the COVID period, we've, we've probably seen, you know, we talked about how supply chains have become uh, much more prevalent and, and much more um, obvious to, to the general public. I, I think also that, that when we look at um, quality practitioners of the future, they're going to need to be able to uh, have 
a skill set and an understanding that includes uh, supply chain capabilities and and even uh, technology. So familiarity with, you know, the the attributes and the components of digital transformation. Um, because to be able to build and manage the quality management system in the future, they have to have that understanding. So no quality person is going to be purely quality in the, in the future. They're going to have a range of skills that, that help them to manage the quality of the, the business uh, most effectively. And I think when you can understand both sides of, of uh, the discussion, it, it, it really helps to reduce the potential conflict. Excellent, Brett. Uh... That's very insightful because, uh, like you said, uh, quality has always been viewed as the policeman. Is there any um, example you have where you're able to uh, describe this change, uh, something that you've come across where quality has actually been working hand in hand in designing the distribution process? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that we look at is in, you know, typically we have metrics around um, non-conformance and deviations that might occur. And, you know, we look at the trends of data that we have on monthly, quarterly, annual basis, helps us to uh, identify specific risk areas. Um, and a part of our, um, uh, a part of the work that we do with the operations team is to identify um, specific projects for improvement um, and and teams that are made up of both quality and operations people are using the data that we've taken from you know from the non-conformance uh, risk analysis and using that to to build a project to um, to improve whatever uh, contributing factors we've identified through that risk analysis and and proactively address that for the future. Um, and we've seen that work uh, very, very successfully. Uh, and uh, and there's a number of projects, um, you know, around uh, operational readiness and uh, also in situations where we're performing secondary repackaging uh, and, and, you know, changes to the production processes that, that improve um, output and quality of results. Uh, so there's been, been a number of examples where we've seen that uh, work effectively. Excellent, Brett. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. If there's one thing that you'd like to leave the viewers with uh, in terms of a message uh, as a pharma professional uh, working on quality and improving distribution at this critical time, what would that be? Uh, I, I, I think, you know, we, we, we have a very important job to do um, in, in terms of, of the way that we manage product, the integrity and the quality of the product um, to ensure that, that patient health and safety is maintained. Um, and that's a key objective for us at all times. Um, I guess in these COVID times, um, there's certainly a, a, a huge focus on uh, how COVID vaccines will be managed and and how they will get to the, to the re required um, populations in in the different uh, in the different geographies, um, and and that's that's an extremely important priority for for us as an organisation. But I also think that you know we we have um, the existing base business uh, which needs to continue to operate, and we have we have a need to continue to to serve the patients of 
um, with with the products that they've used in the past and will continue to use in the future. So um, I, I think you know it's it's how we continue to to perform our role. Um, you know we've we've overcome the challenges of of COVID in many ways, uh, and we have a very robust operating model. Um, we make sure that uh, that we look after our people and our systems uh, for the future to be able to to maintain that capability. Well said, Brett. Thank you so much again for participating in this tech podcast. Uh, it was very insightful to me, at least, and I think uh, all the pharma supply chain professionals, uh, quality professionals, and even supply chain professional outside of pharma uh, would have got a lot of insight into uh, everything that you shared about technology, about uh, uh, quality and distribution working together, and uh, your experience of all the risks that uh, need to be mitigated in advance in this critical supply chain which caters to patients around the world. Thank you, Brett. It was wonderful having you. Thanks, Prem, sir. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Supply Chain Tech Podcast with Roby. If you'd like to support us and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit roby.com. You'll find blogs, ebooks, case studies, webinar discussions, digital solutions, and a bunch of other helpful resources about supply chain visibility and the related technologies. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time.